Well, good morning, Life Church, and good morning to all of you who are joining us today. We have been in this series called The God Questions for a thousand weeks, and today's God question is this. Are we really supposed to love everyone? Everyone? I mean, lots of us are familiar with the biblical command to love one another. It's found throughout this book. And people who don't even believe in God know about that one. And just about all of us agree that that's a really, really good command for everybody to live by. It's a great notion. And it's fun to try to picture a world where everybody loves everybody. But virtually no one thinks this all the way through. No one. No one. Because that means that you must love people that you don't even want to love. People you have a grudge against. People who have hurt you. People who hate you. Those who have hurt people that you do love. And then people who just bug you. You and I must love people that seem unlovable. Now, I bring this up today because the fundamental mark of Christian community is love. People begin to live in oneness and love that would not have done so otherwise. And Paul talks about this in many places. One of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me read you what he writes there. He says, My dear friends, as a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you to get along with each other. So, I'd like to ask you to take a moment, just think about all the people in your life. Scan the faces. Go through the names on your contacts file. And I'm going to ask you something. Do you have any difficult people in your life? Do you have even one high-maintenance relationship, somebody that's not easy for you to love? Boneheads, idiots, knuckleheads, jerks, buttheads. <laughs> we have all kinds of words for them. In more polite Christian circles, they're referred to as sandpaper people. They just rub you the wrong way. There's an abrasive quality to your relationship with them. And just because I'm a very helpful guy, I'm gonna show you some ways that you can recognize these folks. When you get a voicemail from one of these people and they want you to return their call, your first response is, you don't wanna do it. You wish they hadn't called. When you're with this person, you can feel the enthusiasm and energy just kind of draining right out of your body. And instead of feeling free and spontaneous with this person, you feel awkward or artificial or angry even. We all have these people in our lives. Now today we're gonna to see that the way that you treat difficult people can reveal the condition of your own heart. And having a difficult person in your life can actually help you grow spiritually in ways that you would not otherwise. The signature of God's work inside of us is that people begin to love others whom they would not naturally love on their own. Now we see this signature ultimately and supremely in Jesus. Jesus makes the announcement that God wants anyone and everyone to be a part of his new community. So Jesus invites all kinds of people tax collectors, prostitutes, a Roman centurion, Samaritans, foreigners, anyone, those that were outcast at the time. And with his dying breath, Jesus invites a thief, a criminal who's being executed for his crimes, to come and be a part of this gracious, grace-filled, grace-extending community. And many of Jesus' most important and most unforgettable stories center around this theme that God is very serious about throwing the doors of his community wide open for anyone that will enter in. Now, 
There's a wonderful modern version of one of Jesus' parables about the banquet of God and who actually is invited. This was actually first written about in the Boston Globe a while back about this very unusual wedding banquet. It's a real story, but it's kind of a modern version of Jesus' parable. It goes like this. Accompanied by her fiance, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and selected the menu for their wedding banquet. The two of them, they poured over it, they made their menu selections, they picked out the china and the silver, picked out all the flower arrangements and so on. The bill uh, was today's equal of over $50,000. And after leaving half that amount as a deposit, the couple left and went home. Well, the day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the groom got cold feet. Hang on just a minute, I don't know. This is a really big commitment. Why don't we think about it for a while longer? And then he backed out. He jilted her. Now, when the very upset fiance returned back to the Hyatt Hotel to cancel the banquet, the events manager at the hotel could not have been more understanding and sympathetic. But when it came to a refund, this manager had only bad news. She said, the contract is binding. You're really only entitled to 10% back. I mean, this is a $50,000 deal. She says, you've got two options, really. You can forfeit the rest of the deposit that you put down, or you can go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, that's all I can offer you. I feel really bad about that. Well, it seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked this idea of going ahead with the banquet. Now, not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a different, a big blowout for a very, very different reason. See, just 10 years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She'd gotten back on her feet, she found a good job, and she's working on a pretty nice nest egg now. But now she has this wild notion of using all of her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was, on that June evening, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party that hadn't been seen like that in a long, long, long time. She changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. <laughs> She sent invitations out to rescue missions and homeless shelters. And that warm summer night, people who are used to eating old scraps of pizza crusts dined instead on chicken cordon bleu and Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres. And so homeless people and vagrants and runaways and addicts took one night off from their hard life on the streets and instead ate a feast and wedding cake and danced to big band melodies late into the night. What a story. Well, the way Jesus ends his story kind of goes like this in Luke chapter 14. Then the master told his servant, go out to the country roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. He's saying all are welcome. God says, compel them to come in. And so Jesus invites everybody, especially people who thought that they had missed out on it. Later, Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 3. This is what he says. He says, here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, for Christ is in all and is all. So you've got to think about this for just a moment as it would appear to someone who lived then back in the first century. Paul's writing here about old divisions, old labels that had separated people and kept people hostile to each other for centuries. And now Paul is saying, none of that matters anymore. In other words, 
Paul's saying that those who were mortal enemies before suddenly find themselves sitting side by side. No more hostility between Jews and Greeks. Now, Greeks was kind of a casual term that Jews, Jews used for anyone that was not Jewish. The Israelites considered them unclean as pagan. They wouldn't eat with them, wouldn't speak with them, wouldn't sit next to them, wouldn't touch them. But now here they are sitting side by side, shoulder to shoulder, singing and learning together about the things of God, doing ministry with each other. There were former outcasts, now Christians, some of them with the gift of teaching, who were sitting and teaching those who were formerly the upper crusts. It was unthinkable. I mean, it was a miracle. There were slaves and free. Up to a third of the population of the city of Colossae may have been slaves at that time. So there's slave and free sitting next to each other in this new community. Some slaves that were in leadership in the church over those who were free. I mean, it's just incredible. God's community has led the way in equality since the very beginning. In no other place at that time in the world was this kind of thing happening. Now the Greeks had great contempt for the barbarians. Now the barbarians, they considered anybody who didn't speak Greek. The name barbarian is even a derogatory slur. Now the Scythians that Paul mentions are a particularly interesting group of the barbarians. They were from a very, very remote geographical area and they were considered especially repulsive, like the lowest of the low. To behave like a Scythian was a, was a metaphor for misbehavior in Paul's day. To be drunk was to be known as acting like a Scythian. So now these Scythians, these barbarians, are sitting down next to the cultured and the sophisticated, the ignorant next to the educated, the powerful next to the powerless, the wealthy right next to the poor. All kinds of people who were enemies, now friends becoming one. Where else does that happen, friends? That's the signature of God. But here's what's real important for us to understand. As these people are gathering together, they did not always get along very easily. It wasn't just like happily ever after sort of thing. We kind of get a glossified version of what the early church was like. I mean, of course, it was incredible and there were great expressions of the power of God going on. But the New Testament, I mean, if you've read it much, it's also filled with stories of conflict in the church. People who find other people in the church very difficult to get along with, like sandpaperish. Lots of conflicts arose. And Paul even says that these conflicts threatened the fate of the gospel. So all through the New Testament, we find difficult people in the church. The church is not this kind of idealized honeymoon community where everybody just automatically finds it easy to get along with everybody else. Paul's very realistic about this. But here's, here's the thing. Jesus says this as plainly as he can, that the, the sign of Christian growth, the number one sign of Christian growth is the ability to love people that I would not naturally, ordinarily love on my own. And Jesus says this over and over as plainly as he can. I don't know how we can miss it, but sometimes we do. Anybody can love folks that are nice to them. The ability to love folks that are hard, that is the signature of God. Now, of course, to love them doesn't mean that I just do everything they want me to do. No. Sometimes it involves painful confrontations and honesty. But we've got to be very, very clear when we come to face this issue. Are there people in your life that you don't love? 
Now, for myself, I kind of thought, because I was a Christian, and I had been for a long time, I must love people. I mean, I knew people that, I had people in my life that I didn't like, and I thought in some strange way that I couldn't understand, I must love them because I'm a Christian. <laughs> I mean, even though I don't say loving things to or about them, even though I don't do loving things for them, well, I'm a Christian, and Christian loves, Christians love everybody. So in some strange metaphysical way that only God can see, I must love them because I'm a Christian. <laughs> this can get a little bloody when we look deeply at it. And for some that are watching, there might be some convicting work of the Holy Spirit going on right now. Because there's a difficult person in your life, and you're realizing right now, man, I haven't even been trying to love this person. I've actually been cultivating my resentment for this person for a pretty long time. So if you're undergoing the convicting work of the Spirit right now, then please be sensitive to that. To go through the rest of life trapped in resentment towards someone would just be a miserable way to live. Sandpaper people, difficult people, reveal the truth about the condition of our heart. Because I have this illusion, and lots of us do. Here it is. I think like this, I know that I could joyfully live in authentic, spirit-filled community if I just had some healthy people to do it with instead of these defective models that seem to be, keep collecting around me. We think like that. And here's the deal. It's easy for us to feel like we're doing pretty good with all this kind of stuff when we're all by ourselves. You can get teary-eyed during a Hallmark commercial and think that you must be a real compassionate person. I can look down and see my grandkids just sleeping angelically all around me, and I can kind of have this thought and be very confident that these perfect kids are never going to ever disobey or sin ever like ever. Everybody looks great when they're sleeping. Everybody gets along when we're sleeping. The problems arise when we're awake. So this is part of why community is so important. The test of my spiritual growth is not by myself, it's when I'm in community. What do I actually do with real, non-sleeping people, some of whom are difficult? It's not just about those I naturally get along with. Christian community is never easy. Author Henry Nolan put it this way, he said, Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. So, how in the world do I grow in this? How do I love difficult people? Well, I'm going to give you a few practical things, but here's the overarching key to all this. Ask God. Ask God, like really out loud. Ask Him to give you His supernatural love. I mean, you don't want my leftover love. You deserve better than whatever I've got to give. In Romans chapter 5, it says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is what enables us to love others well. In my own strength, I can try, I can give it a shot, I can hope for the best, but those around me deserve better than that. So I can honestly go to God and say, God, would you help me love this person well? That actually breaks you free from human limitations and kind of launches you into the supernatural. Because we all know that love is the highest of all in God's eyes, right? Love God, love people. He says that's the highest and best. So thrill the Father's heart by asking Him to help you with the very thing that He wants most to help you with. 
love. Start there. Start by going to God and being honest. Lord, help me to love. Would you help me to love? And he will. Okay, now there's this great phrase that Paul uses when he's talking about loving difficult people. It comes in Colossians 3, uh, verse 13, when he says these words, bear with them. Say that with me. Bear with them. That's like love on training wheels. This word that Paul uses means to put up with each other or to tolerate each other. Because the truth is, not everybody is meant to be your best friend. Loving others is not the obligation to make those whom you have a difficult time with be your best friend until Jesus comes. No, not at all. I mean, even Jesus had three of his friends that were closer than all the others. Paul here is telling us to bear with everyone. Don't blow people off. Listen, care, help. Bear with them. And realize that this difficult person is just as much a part of the community as I am, just as much loved by God as I am. So bear with them. Don't judge them. Don't gossip about them. Don't assume the worst about them. And recognize that my perception of this difficult person is probably distorted. I don't have perfect judgment and assessment of the people around me. I don't. You don't either. I remember years ago, I was sitting in a leadership group and one of the people, uh, people in that group was a difficult person for me, I, someone that I had a hard time getting along with. And I'd known this person for quite a while. And we're sitting in this group and all of a sudden this person just launches into one of the most outrageous compliments of me that I'd ever heard. I remember thinking, well, this guy's not so bad after all. He's got some good ideas. Maybe we should listen to this guy. Talk more. <laughs> See, a lot, of, a lot of times my perception of a person tends to be colored not so much on who they really are, but what I believe they think about me. I mean, if I think they love me, I'm willing to tolerate a whole bunch of other stuff. If I don't, I put that bar a lot higher. But I don't want to live that way, and you don't either. We need to bear with everyone. Sandpaper people are wonderful opportunities for spiritual growth. You need at least one of these in your life. And if you don't have one, call the Life Church office. We can rent you one for a while until you get this thing down. <laughs> but chances are you probably already have this person in your life, maybe more than one. Well, that's starter community. Bear with them. That's starter community. Here's how much God wants to help us with this. Right before this bear with them command that he gives us, he reminds us, of an incredible truth that we often forget and have a hard time grasping, really. It's this simple phrase. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's talking to us. Paul's not saying, become God's chosen, become God's holy, become God's beloved. No. He says, this is what you are already. And if you ever come to believe this fully, like with your whole mind and heart, it'll change your life. You are God's chosen. Ever been rejected? Ever been turned down by something? Get turned down for a date? For a job? Ever the last one chosen for a team? Have you ever known the pain of rejection? Well, then it's good to know that God has chosen you. God wants you. Even if you were the only person left on earth, God's desire to love you and be with you is, could not be higher than it is right now. Beyond that, Paul says, you're holy, you're holy. 
That's a hard one for a lot of us to swallow. Now, this idea of holy uh, was something that is set apart, set apart for something special. Like if you have a task to do and you're going to use this specific tool, it's like I'm going to use this tool for this task. It's set apart for that. That's the essence of the word holy. Holiness is something that God does to us and for us. God sets you apart. And Paul is telling us here, you're holy. You're holy. Beyond that, he says, you are dearly loved. Dearly loved. You are the beloved of God. God looks at you now or as you drive or as you sleep or at any point in time. And God's, his heart just wells up with love for you. doesn't matter if you fail, if you fall, if you stumble, if you achieve great things or if you don't. You are the chosen of God. You are called holy by God. You are the beloved of God. And now he says, as I have accepted you, as I have forgiven you, I want you to accept and forgive other people. The way that I am, God says, I want you to be, and I'll help you do it. Only God, only God. Only God says, here's what I want you to do. But then he says, I'll help you do it. What a great God we serve. You are chosen by God. You're called holy by God. You are the beloved of God. Now, why don't we take a moment and pray? Let's bow our heads. Lord, in Jesus' name, we come to you and we are reminded afresh of this great truth that we are chosen by you. We are called holy by you. We are your beloved. Now, God, may we take that great acceptance and love and reflect it and give it to the people in our lives, the people all around us, especially those, Lord, who are difficult. Lord, would you do your work inside of us so we can get this right? You are powerful, Lord, and we know that you can do this. And now we believe that you will. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Life Church, I want you to know that you are loved greatly and you are prayed for regularly. We look forward to the time that we can come back together in person. But for the time being, we're doing what we can do the very, very best that we can. And I want you to make the most of this time as well. Don't coast, grow. Lay hold of God's best for you and grow. We're doing it together. We'll be back together soon before too long. But until we see each other again, let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes. And the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Mm -hmm.